On this episode of Resi Week, we talk smart bulbs versus smart switches, CDS HDR white paper, Tom Cruise has a motion smoothing PSA, and facial rec in the US. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week, episode 149, Point of Failure. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Harmon International. And by Middle Atlantic. What great systems are built on. Welcome to Resi Week. This is your weekly wrap-up of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matt D. Scott, for avnation.tv. And today I'm pleased to be joined by my good pal, Joe Whitaker. He is the president and owner of The Thoughtful Home, The Thoughtful Restaurant, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How you doing, my friend? I am doing well. Glad to be back on the show after a hiatus. Well, yeah, you've been very busy. It happens. Uh, and, yeah, yeah. and we have a, a, a first-time guest. Yes. We'll say a long-time listener, but I don't know. Um, Tom Coughlin, he is the president and CEO of Simply Reliable. How are you, sir? Fantastic. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. We are going to partially see Joe. Well, nobody really wants to see Joe, so it's a good day. Let's kick this right off with a entertaining story that comes to us from Android Authority, the smart home conundrum. Should you get a light, uh, a smart light switch or a smart light bulb? Now, I I almost always rail on these types of consumer websites for posting ridiculously terrible articles on anything smart home related uh, as far as having very limited knowledge of what's going on and how the technology can actually work. This was an actually quite impressive article. I really enjoyed reading it. It, it covers essentially the advantages and the disadvantages of both smart light switches and smart lighting and when you should use one or the other. Joe, I do want to start with you on this one being as you probably play in this quite often and, and you run across this all the time. When you look at a, an article like this, but, but really this kind of conversation with a client, obviously it varies depending on the, the client and their, their property size, what they're trying to achieve. But how do you approach this conversation of whether you should go with you know, some form of smart lights that are Bluetooth or Wi-Fi or Z-Wave or Zigbee or, or, or whatever protocol for a, a smart light bulb versus, hey, we really need to be looking at smart switches here. Well, well, you know, the formats to me don't matter. They, they don't really matter anymore. The, the conversation, what I liked about the article was they're actually talking about devices, right? Mm -hmm. right? They're actually talking to devices for a change. And it's a bulb versus a switch. So to me, the conversation is relatively easy in that where's your point of failure with the bulb? Where's your point of failure with the switch? Well, with the bulb, your point of failure is your grandma, your mom, your kids, your whoever is going to hit that switch. And now all of a sudden your room no longer works. Um, with the switch, the, the cost benefits are, are, are always there because what uh, – a Wemo bulb is 30-something bucks, and a Philips Hue is 45 to 80 bucks, and a high-end switch is 200 bucks. And that could do two, four, six, eight, ten can lights. 
So when, you, when you're looking at the value and also that point of failure, if you put in a smart switch, when you turn the switch off, it still works with your phone. It still works with whatever system, whether it be DIY, IoT, et cetera. It still works. But the minute you demarcate that with a generic switch and an intelligent bulb, you now have a built-in point of failure, one that you cannot avoid. So that's, that's how that conversation is very easier. It's, it's a lot easier to have these days. But it was also from a consumer standpoint. That's how I saw that article. And, you know, we we sold our house and moved to Florida as one does. Um, And moved into an apartment. So the the point they were making in the article about pulling light switches out in your apartment is totally valid. You have no idea what's behind that wall. And, boy, a can of worms in this place, you don't want to go down that path. So we put in the plugs uh, for lamps and things like that. We bought the Phillips shoes because that seemed to be the best choice for a situation like this where you're not going to have uh, a, a pro come out and take care of it. Very good. When you, when you look at that type of thing and having experienced it, Tom, it, it, at what point does the, the hue, for example, since that's what you have in your house, when does that become potentially a, like a life safety issue in the sense of not being able to control it with anything other than essentially a soft switch? Well, worse than that. So we didn't put, there's no keypads in the house. Mm-hmm. So it's all Alexa or Siri or Google. Okay. So you know how those guys can be. You, you, there you go. See, <laughs> she talks when she, when you don't want her to talk and she's not listening to you when you want, when you want her to. Right. Uh, so from a point of safety, especially in the house, I can see that being a real problem. You'd want the real light switch to go bam if you have to. Very good. All right, gentlemen, let's move on to our next story of the day. This comes to us from Residential Systems. There is a new CDO white paper, an integrator's guide to HDR video. Uh, It is one of the first of three white papers that are going to be released by the association by the end of 2018. Uh, Tom, I want to come back to you on this one. HDR has been in the market for for quite a while. It's been in photography for years. Um, But again, from a video standpoint, it's really just started to arrive the last you know, couple of years. When you look at white papers like this from trade organizations like Cedia and, and some of the other organizations out there, how important is it or, or, or how much preference should we give to, you know, a white paper in this case on HDR that comes to us from Cedia versus manufacturer specific white papers or, or guides or, or what have you on technologies like HDR? Is there that large uh, of a difference, of a content difference? I, I would think that there's a lot of validity to someone or an organization like Cedia doing this. Because my guess, and of course, I'm, I'm not selling to consumers anymore, so I'm not mm-hmm. totally 100% on the manufacturers, but I don't see a lot of that type of information or white papers coming out from manufacturers anymore. Retail's over, so it's mostly custom or it's big box retail. And the person standing at Walmart looking for the biggest picture for the cheapest price doesn't really care if it has HDR on it unless grandma read a, no- a note that said, hey, when you're out looking for TVs, the plain dealer said this is important. And I, I read that article. I-, I thought it was really interesting because I'm thinking this is not what the custom world's all about. Unless you're just totally focused on high-end home theaters and things like that. If you're having conversations about the HDR on a TV doing a $200,000 uh, custom smart home house, you're spending way too much time on the, on the subjects that your customer probably doesn't care about. <laughs> but 
but I do think there's more validity to Stevia doing something like that versus the manufacturer. Very good. <clears throat> Joe, when you look at this, this is, this is a conversation that you and I have had probably since the day I met you. Um, in, in this conversation, obviously we're talking HDR, but there are so many emerging trends, so many emerging technologies that come out there. And, you know, Tom hit it right on the head. Not every manufacturer is producing, shall we say, valid content. I'll get hate mail for that one, but valid content on some of these emerging technologies, HDR alone. I believe there's at least four different standards uh, as far as standards, quote unquote, um, as far as different types of HDR. So when we're looking at that $200,000, you know, uh, whole home system, if we're distributing video, we need to know how to distribute HDR properly, how to deal with that. And again, I'm just using HDR as the example. How important is it that we as integrators, home technology professionals within this space maintain a, a, a current knowledge set? And again, wh wherever we, we, we source that information from, how do we go about maintaining that broad knowledge space? I, I think at this point, I mean, it's a have to, um, especially like you said, there's, there's more than one version, BT 2020, whichever version you want to talk about. Um, but then it even gets, it gets deeper. And to kind of go to Tom's point about that consumer level and the manufacturer level, if you're really paying attention and you listen to consumers and clients, it's actually starting to get forced down their throat. You go on uh, Apple TV 4K right now and you go to Netflix and it's going to say right on there that Luke Cage is in Dolby Vision mm -hmm. and this one is in, you know, 4K HDR. And they're like, what is that? Ooh, best picture quality. Why doesn't mine work? Why? I'm pressing the button and I'm black screen. <laughs> so, you know, now it's to the point of it is in our hands. We have to deal with it. But now we're in that transition of where are we going to get the education from? We're not necessarily going to get it. We're definitely not going to get it from Apple. We're getting to the point we're not really going to get it from other manufacturers of displays like Samsung and, and other. Now we're coming to the point where we have to get it from the industry association. They are going to have to let us know through white papers, press, and media, and then eventually backdoor that with a real class. As these things like Dolby Vision, Atmos, um, other things like that, DTSX, um, as these things start taking a hold and consumers see them and are wondering, why isn't mine working like it's advertised to me? I need to call Joe or I need to call Matt. Where's Joe and Matt going to get that education from? We can't get it from the manufacturers anymore. They're not going to dive that deep anymore. So we have to, and, and, and what's nice about the way CDA is doing it currently is you get a little blip on social media or whatever, and it says, oh, this is coming up. And then you're gonna, and then you start to see a white paper that gives you the ammo you need for a fight. And then you're probably gonna see a sit down real classroom about it in the future because we can't get it from somewhere else. And it's like, I, it's like really important that somebody is taking up this torch to, to arm us for stuff that it, it's being, we're at the point where it's forced on us now. Just wait till 8K happens. It's going to get even worse. Well, and I think that's the key because I know even, even for my own company, we go and take different classes from different manufacturers and it is not uncommon for one manufacturer to completely uh, 
invalidate what we learned the week before from a different manufacturer just because the processes are different and the content is different. Is that, is that a, a one-off or is that a continuing problem? Well, from my standpoint, it's always a continuing problem. <laughs> um, and it doesn't matter where, where, you know, where, where you sit. It's, it's always going to change. It's always going to evolve and it's always going to impact the consumer first. And that's going to be a direct reflection on us. Very good. Not the manufacturer. No, never. All right. Uh, let's, let's move on to our next story of the day. This comes to us from CE Pro and Andrew Nichols. If you missed this, this hit the, the social media rounds uh, late last week. Tom Cruise made a PSA and arguably did it with someone who has better hair than him, which was impressive to me. Um, Tom Cruise's uh, PSA was turn off HD motion smoothing to avoid the soap opera effect. Uh, essentially, he and the director for the most recent uh, or the, the upcoming Top Gun Maverick, as well as uh, Mission Impossible Fallout, Christopher McQuarrie, took a moment out of their filming to talk about why you have to turn off motion smoothing. Um, when I saw this come out, one, it, it made me laugh. It, it got me quite excited because this is one of the banes of my existence personally. Uh, Joe, I'm going to come back and start with you on this one. We know, or, or I'd like to think that we know within the industry that motion smoothing, all of these effects, heck, even down to dynamic mode on a, on a TV or a projector is not something that you want enabled. It's not going to give you a true to form anything. Uh, this past year, Sony on their elite class uh, or, or elite series of TVs brought out a, a Netflix mode that allows you to have your color settings on the TV change to native uh, Netflix production, how, how they, they, they naturally produce that. Um, I hear that's the only way you can get the Netflix red to actually be that red. Exactly. Yeah, I'm the joking. <laughs> but when you, when you look at this kind of stuff, um, and again, we've known this in the industry for a long time. Is this one of those things where you actually use this as a conversation point with your client or do you just pull that TV out of the box, prep it in your, your warehouse or whatever and turn all this stuff off? So, so for, for all of those listening and watching right now, if you're watching the video and you're watching me talk, I am currently talking on motion smoothing just to let you know. So this is what it does to the video. No, I'm joking, but this is how bad it can be. Um, you know, manufacturers have always toyed with those things. You look at like the 2015 models of uh, Sony XBR 4Ks and they had a football button on them. I mean, they're, they're always trying to have like these forced settings, which sometimes can work, but motion smoothing, gradient scaling, all of these other things that are options that they're like, that, that's so the guy that goes to Walmart and buys this TV can just like get quick fix you know, calibration and, and it's horrible and it does bad things because you know, that it's, it's the opposite of what Netflix did is film is still filmed on film mm -hmm. and you're watching it in a digital format. And when you use, you know, digital adjustments like motion smoothing, um, I think what Sony calls it motion flow, it takes away from that effect of film. And it, is it has caused a conversation within our industry. We saw the exact same thing when Samsung first came out 
with the 240 hertz TVs. And it looked like cookie cutter images in a person cookie cutter in front of a background. It looked fake. It was horrible. But that's what, you know, this digital processing does to things that are still shot and captured in analog. You know, that's why they tell you about a DAC. It's the same thing, you know. Get, get the best possible DAC out there that's not going to have a bunch of compression because then you're digitally messing up analog recorded things. I mean, this is a huge conversation now, especially now that we're seeing 4K and 8K filming mm -hmm. at frame rates that are unheard of. When you have all those digital settings on, the, a, a display does not know what to do with that much true cinematic content. And consumers are starting to notice it. The PSA, I thought, was brilliant. Um, it, 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 the, the nice thing about it was it, it kept one subject, just the motion flow, was very short and gave you a link and told you how to Google and shut yours off. Thought it was extremely well done. I love the fact that it actually came from the motion picture industry. I'd love to see some by Spielberg. George Lucas, give me one from Rick Rubin on adjusting audio settings. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean that extremely impressive to me because it, it it backs up from a director and an actor what we've been saying for a decade. So that I love it. So, so Tom, let me ask you this: this is this is something that obviously Joe is passionate about. I've been passionate about this for a while, the, the same from the audio standpoint. How do integrators go about, you know, trying to tell that story or, or, or trying to, you know, can they rely on this P PSA? Can they use other things to, you know, come back and, and have that conversation with your client about, you know, there's a reason that we do this, we turn this off, that we use DAX, that we use all these other devices to, you know, again, get you the truest to form per, um production that we can well I, I think that that uh, especially see hopefully most, most CDA folks uh, because of their knowledge of technology they don't necessarily have to stick it out in front of the customer but I've always been a huge believer in what I call the greatest things in slice we're the greatest things in slice bread page at the front of the proposal okay mm -hmm. so when you're when you're talking to that prospect or that, that potential customer you need to have a story that you tell that, that tells why you're in the business and then how you do things differently than other people and calibrating the TV. You don't have to get into HDR. You don't have to get into why you're turning these things off, but you, you talk about why your TVs and the houses that you put in look better because that they can see, they can hear. So all the, all the jargon and all the numbers and all that stuff. It's really cool that Cruz did that because he, I mean, everybody should be putting that on their website, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, see, he said that. Uh, but, but, but really, you should have a whole story wrapped around the things that you do differently than Walmart and, and the Geek Squad and Amazon, because those guys are coming, right? Why is it so hard for, you know, HTPs, for integrators to, to tell that story? Because I, I, I hear that all the time, but I very rarely see it executed well. Well... We're a big fan of the E-Myth book, right? The E-Myth book's all about, you know, the accidental entrepreneur. Like all of a sudden became an entrepreneur. And almost everybody in, in, in our industry, that's kind of what happened. They love the technology. They're working for somebody else. And then they got an opportunity to go out on their own. 
So they don't have sales training. They don't have marketing training. They don't have business training a lot of times. So they, it's kind of the front wheel, back wheel thing about the bicycle analogy. You know, the back wheel being your, your technology skills and, and the front wheel being your sales and marketing skills, right? Mm-hmm. They don't realize that if they just spend that five to seven minutes up front setting up their value uh, for the prospect, that they probably could save 25 or 30 minutes of talking about gear and close the sale faster. Very good. Love it. All right, gentlemen, let's go to our last story of the day. This comes to us from The Verge. Uh, Microsoft is sounding an alarm over facial recognition technology. Uh, essentially, they are proposing that Chinese-style monitoring could and, and may be in the U.S. currently. At a recent <clears throat> uh, speech, Microsoft's president, Brad Smith, went on uh, about how he's imploring governments to start adopting some form of legal action, some some laws to regulate facial recognition and speaking about how it, it's it's something that you can start to do and just really, it, it's going to roll and, and just keep going. So Tom, I want to start with you on this one. Within the industry, we know, you know, facial rec's been around for a while. It's on, you know, your, your brand new phone. It's on a bunch of other devices. Is this something that really the only way to curb it is to create some federal regulations over it, you know, for the U.S. and and potentially Canada and and the U.K. and, you know, most of your your typical Western countries? Is that the only way to curb this? Uh, I'm not a big fan of uh, of having the government tell us what to do with technology. on the other hand, the, the fear of what the Chinese are doing, like, for instance, keeping people out of certain places based upon facial recognition because of their background or whatever, not because they they don't have the right password to get in, <clears throat> uh, is, is kind of scary. And, and maybe regulation is, is the only way to actually get that done. But the bad actors out there are still going to find a way to get, the, get that through there. So who are you protecting? You're protecting the good guys that wouldn't do it in the first place? I'm not so sure. Joe, when you look at this, um, you know, again, being, being an integrator, I'm assuming that you've played with some of the uh, CCTV cameras that offer facial rec that do that. But again, those are, those are small off-the-shelf systems. They don't necessarily connect to a database and, and do all this other stuff. So you think. <laughs> exactly. <Right. laughs> We're, we're taking okay. <laughs> we're taking it with a grain of salt that they don't, you know, connect to a, another database, and and get that information out there into the hands of, you know, again, bad actors. So my first question for you was, is this technology readily deployed already, and we are just unaware of it? Is this something that we need to be a ready for the conversation on, and b incredibly scared of, or just kind of scared? Hey, hey, I think it goes down to being naive because we do know that it is there. We know it's already in use. Somebody would ask me, oh, you know, I really want these cameras, but it's got facial recognition. I'm kind of worried. My answer would be, do you have Facebook? Because Facebook already, if I, if I put it, if I took a picture of this screen right now and put it on Facebook, it's going to try to auto tag Matt. Yep. Um, because, and I mean, it's already there and, you know, Homeland Security already uses it in airports, government buildings, 
I mean, you go over there already. It's it's they've already identified you. They've run your name. They know how far back in the building you can go without a armed escort. It's it's already done. It's already deployed. It's all out there. And the conversation with with you know, it's the same conversation that I have with clients about um, data privacy and all that. It's like, what what are you worried about getting out there? What are you trying to protect? You've already given away ninety nine percent of your secrets already. Um, it's already out there. You've already shared it with the world. The same thing with facial recognition and all that. I once joked when Facebook first came out with the um, facial recognition within profile pictures that, hey, I should just come out with a dating app that you go to the bar and you're, hey, that girl's cute. You pick up your phone and you aim it at her and it gives you her, is she single? Is she married? Uh, what does she like to drink? Uh, where does she like to go eat? Because the info's already out there. It's already done. We're just, now we're getting to the point where people can use that for themselves, mm -hmm. not for targeted marketing or Homeland Security or, or any of that. Now it can be used on my premise to identify who's coming to my doorbell or who's sneaking in my backyard or who's coming and shopping at my store. Are we more comfortable with it being in the hands of Facebook or Google or someone like that than we are of the government? I don't know. We're already beyond minority to report, if, whether we like it or not. Um, it, it's already there. It, I mean, I would rather, well, yeah, you know, I would rather have the government have it than uh, Macy's or, or somebody like that because then they're going to be like, oh, Joe, has, send him over to shoes. Shoot him a targeted ad on his phone right now. They're already about done the sale on aisle three in shoes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. I'd rather the government be using it. It's, it's the illusion of privacy. Yeah. <laughs> Gone. Yeah, I, I must say, I've seen the demo of um, Samsung's connected store, where when you walk around and pick up different devices, or, or sorry, different items, it recognizes that and starts targeting ads to you and, and targeting, you know, selected things, which on Amazon, we're okay with. We have no problem. Oh, I bought that book. Ooh, you might like this book. I love that. It makes me happy. In real life, that's creepy as heck. It's like someone falling from behind, right? Yeah. By the way, did you like this? No, I told you I'm fine. Leave me alone. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, let's leave it there on that very encouraging bright note. Um, Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. If people want to connect with you, uh, learn more about everything that Simply Reliable does, how can they do that? You can follow us on, twi at, on Twitter at uh, Simply Reliable. Uh, come to our, our website, of course, simplyreliable.com. Uh, if they want to contact me directly, it's uh, T Coffin, Tom, just like the box coffin, at simplyreliable.com. Give me a uh, give me like a, a thirty second pitch, uh, just for anyone who doesn't like. I know what you guys do but not everyone listening may. So just give us a quick pitch on that, if you don't mind. I do not mind at all, and I appreciate the opportunity. <laughs> so we make enterprise software for the custom installation industry. We're the only one out there that's focused on the entire business process from start to beginning. Uh, it's all cloud-based, very inexpensive uh, to use and up and running pretty quickly. We like to say we're enterprise software up and running in about an hour and a half. So that's, that's pretty quick to do. That's fantastic. So check that out if you're interested. Joe, of course, thank I, I you. I'll just say one last thing. If, yeah, you're, yeah. if you're a Control 4 dealer, our CI for C4 process is probably the coolest thing that came out this year. It didn't get a lot of press coverage, 
but uh, it takes on average of about two days off of each Control 4 project by using this process. Well, that's fantastic. Look at the face he made. That was a good face. That was a good face. Yeah, that was a very good face. And I and, and you know what? It's just puts faster. money in your pocket. <laughs> it's it's faster than Jimmy John's. So there you go. Ooh, faster than Jimmy John's. There you go. Uh, if you are not in the U.S. or close enough to the U.S. border to get that commercial, it's a really <laughs> fast sandwich delivery. Uh, <laughs> Joe, thank you so much for joining us. As always, if people want to connect with you, um, I know you're pretty easy to find, but give it to them just in case they don't have it. Uh, you can always find me at uh, Joe at the thoughtful home.com on Twitter and Facebook at the thoughtful home and always find me involved in some way. at Excellent. Thank you gentlemen again for joining us for myself. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me at Matt D Scott on Twitter and most other social platforms, but more importantly, please stop by avnation.tv where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of our other shows with all the verticals that we cover when you visit the website, please take a moment to check out our supporters. We are extremely thankful for their support and ask that you check them out as well. Thanks again for watching. That's all the time we have for this episode of Resi Week. 